Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Danziel. And we have some good news. Starting this morning, you can now listen to the State of the Nova Nation podcast on the Google Play Music Store. So if you're an Android user like myself, finally got it on there. You can finally listen to the podcast there. You don't have to go on Podomatic. You can now access it through the Google Play service. So now we've covered all our bases. We got Apple, Android, Google. And as always, if you still want, you can go to the Podomatic website to listen to it, or you can listen to it right on the VU Hoops page when we post them onto the site every Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah, great to see we got all our bases covered now. And I believe the Google Play, I'm pretty sure every hosting site has it, but I I think the Google Play was more prominent that they have the whole library. So if you want to go listen to us complain about other stuff, or mainly me complain about other stuff, you have every opportunity to do so. I'll be honest, as a proud Android user, I'm surprised that it took me this long to get it set up. Finally stopped procrastinating after a nice talk with Seattle Mike J, the podfather. Shout out to him. That's good. Glad we're on there now. Yes, more platforms, more options available to our listeners. We're going to try to see if we can expand it to maybe Spotify, but no promises or plans there. But for now, we got Apple, Android covered. Nice, diverse arrangement. We got a lot to talk about today from men's basketball and the women's games coming up. And of course, your questions. We know that we missed a few of them from last time. So we're going to get circle back to them. We're going to answer all of them and any of those that you left for this episode as well. So it's going to be a nice packed question segment. On Tuesday night, the Wildcats took on the Providence Fries for the first time this season, squaring off at the Wells Fargo Center. Villanova won 89 to 69. Wasn't a pretty start, but once they got it going, they really got it going. What impressed you? What stood out to you in this Providence game where Villanova was just not able to hit anything to start? And then once they started stringing together baskets, they really ran away and ultimately won by 20. Yeah, that start was really, really ugly. It was probably one of the worst starts all year. And then you had Providence, specifically Kyra Cartwright, hitting like NBA range threes. And you're like, oh, it's going to be one of those games, isn't it? But then the instant I knew this game wasn't going to turn into a Providence win or just just a bad Villanova night was when I believe Villanova made a basket and then Providence was going down the other way or it might have been off of this. I don't remember. But Providence was going down the other way. And then you see Eastman running like a bat out of hell from the other side of the court to come back and swat the ball away to lead to a transition basket for Villanova. And I think they cut the lead to like seven, five points at the time. I don't really remember, but that play stuck out to me. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, they're actually trying. They're just not having the shots just aren't falling. So I, I knew they were in it and I knew they were they weren't going to give up. And alas, they were able to rattle off eight field goals in a row to put themselves ahead. And then they didn't look back the rest of the way. I think obviously we, we can talk about Jalen just had a, an off game. If he, he can have an off game, it's okay. He's carried the team for basically the entire year. He can have one bad day and the rest of the team can carry him. We have that type of team. Bellman had a great day. Eastman played like a man possessed. I thought he was player of the game, in my opinion. DCR had a very underrated game too. He had 11 points in just 12 minutes. Glotted positioning down under to get himself free. I thought him and Jalen and, and any, any guard really was really feeding him inside and it played pretty well. Bridges, 11 points. Pedestrian for him, but good for anyone else. Dante had a good game. He was tacking up some threes and was able to make them. I was pretty happy with that. And then, of course, we got to talk about it. Bill Booth, eight points on the night on two of four shooting, but it comes at a hefty price. We're going to talk about Booth's injury in just a bit. Devastating news. But first, we're just going to look at this game as a whole. 
As you mentioned, Eric Pascal had a great game, played like a man possessed. 17 points, 5 assists, 3 blocks, 4 steals. The man just made an impact on both ends of the court. And as a player who wasn't really known for his defense at Fordham or in high school, he's really grown as the season's gone along on that end of the court, and he's becoming a more well-rounded player. And now that he's hitting his three-pointers, we're starting to really see him fulfill his potential, be that player that we thought that he could be as that stretch threat, one that can hurt you inside, one that can pull up from deep. And with that freakish athleticism that we now see that's carried over to both ends of the court, it's great to see. Aside from him, five other Wildcats in double figures. Spellman with 16 points. He had a nice game inside, 7 of 12 overall. Jalen, he was 3 of 7 from deep, but he was 5 of 15 overall on the floor. Definitely one of his slower, quieter nights, but it's fine. As you mentioned, he's taken us this far. If he were to play perfectly for every single game, that would be godlike. But he had five other teammates score double digits. And then Mikhail Bridges, Colin Gillespie, and Demir Cosby-Rountree with 11 points each. I love DCR's game, but he was fantastic off the bench. It's really great to see a young big man. Just be so confident, and he's really thrived in his role coming off the bench. And he's been a solid contributor. He's burst out of the gate as a freshman big, which usually for a Jay Wright guard you type of coach or a program, you don't really see that too much. Even as talented as Villanova bigs might be, you see a little bit of a learning curve, but he doesn't really seem to have that so far. He's been contributing very nicely on the floor. He certainly has. And I was saying before, he, he gets open. He he gets his – the reason why he's shooting at a, such a high percentage is because every shot he's taking is wide open, I feel like. I mean, yes, he had some baskets uh, the other night where he made a nice move toward the basket. I think he had like one or a couple, one year after like a couple pump fakes or something like that. But, but yeah, he, most, of his, most of his opportunities are because he's open. And I, I don't know if it's because the defenses are forgetting about him, but I think it's more so speaks to him that he's just able to create the opportunities for himself. Yeah, definitely. And he's he's aggressive with the shots, you know? I feel like he takes smart shots. He doesn't try to, like, force it in the post if he's clearly uncomfortable. He's smart. He's playing very well for a freshman. Sure, there are, like, a few mishaps or hiccups on defense once in a while when he misses assignment or lets a guy roam free in the post. But he's just gotten better with each and every game. Gillespie, limited action, still maybe a little hampered from his hand injury. Only logged seven points, was the only one in single digits on Tuesday night. And then on Providence's end, Rodney Bullock and Jalen Lindsey. They led the way for the Friars, Bullock with 16, Lindsay with 14. We knew that Providence was a great three-point defensive team coming in, and we saw that in the first half as Villanova really struggled to get anything going. Only shot 5 of 14 from deep, but in the second half, Villanova shot so much better on all levels of the game, and I think it helped that the three-point shots started opening things up. And overall, on the floor, they shot over 50%, and it's very hard to lose a game when you're doing that, especially to close it out when you have the lead. But one thing that I was impressed with, too, was how well Villanova did forcing turnovers and taking those and creating scoring opportunities out of that. Villanova had 19 points off turnovers. And if you look at the margin of victory, that's basically that right there. Yeah, I guess that was pretty much the difference. They played fine defensively, too. I, I thought they had a great defensive game all around. Other than the slow start, I really don't have any qualms with this game. Yeah, they had some missed assignments like in the corner. Like Lindsay had like three threes in a row in the corner. Like, but like whatever, that's going to happen over long season long in the game they're playing really well i'm just now concerned with this booth injury how the depth's gonna really stack up and i hope it'll be fine but you just never know when i watched the game i had no idea that it happened it wasn't until brendan riley pointed out in the staff chat that something had happened to phil booth's hand or wrist and when i saw the replay very late in game the closing minutes you saw him after a timeout was called on the floor 
you saw him immediately grabbing his right hand and he was in clear discomfort and pain. And then yesterday he goes in for an x-ray and it was announced that he would be out indefinitely with a fractured right hand. But then Jay Wright went on the radio waves last night and announced that it'll be a four to six week timetable for Phil Booth. Unfortunate, unfortunate news for Booth. Obviously, last year we saw him, even though the odds were stacked against him, he kept trying to come back onto the court. Even when it was late February, he was still trying to get back on the court. And he was playing so well. We mentioned him last episode on what kind of player he is and how he contributes and how he was doing well this season. And it's just unfortunate to see him go down for an extended period of time yet again. Thankfully, not as long and thankfully not season ending but another long-term injury in which he'll miss a good chunk of conference play and the regular season. Yeah, this flat-out sucks. It's that plain and simple. Like you said, we talked about him last episode, and I, I tried to pump him up as much as I could. He's a great player to have on your team, and this is going to hurt. I've been saying it all year, he's the X factor for this team. He's the type of player that will give you the consistent performances that, you know, if you are having a bad night like, you were, like we were on Tuesday night, at least in the beginning, he'll kind of step in, fill that role, until everyone starts getting back on track. This this is horrible. This is, this is devastating. He's been dealing with injuries since his sophomore year. He had knee. He had, he had also had a bout with mono. Last year, he, he missed pretty, pretty much the entire season with the knee. And now he has a broken hand. It's just a shame he can't stay on the court. As a team, he can't experience his full potential. And that sucks. We can take a hit with Gillespie and Samuels and keep the big boys out there. That's fine. But if you're losing one of those big boys, your bench just gets even thinner. Man, this is, this is going to hurt. And especially now with... It's February coming up. To end the month, we're at Marquette. Then February is absolutely grueling where you got several tough road games. And he's basically probably he's probably going to miss all of that. So, so uh, this is just... And then I don't want to look that far down the road, but when he does come back, is he going to be okay? This, this is, it, it is to a shooting hand, the injury. So you're, you're wondering how he's going to adjust, how long it's going to take him to adjust back to the game and see if he can get his good shooting stroke back. Yeah, looking at this month of February, it's going to be a brutal second half to that month. From Valentine's Day, you got at Providence, then after that at Xavier, come back home for a nice break against DePaul, chalked it up as a W, but then the other two are going to be really tough road games. To round off February, you got at Creighton and then at Seton Hall. It's going to be a real tough stretch of games. Gotta assume he's going to be gone for at least three of those games. I guess best case scenario, he comes back for at Creighton, at Seton Hall. But there are no guarantees here. And if you're Jay, I guess you'd rather have him be fully healed because March is what's going to really matter. Yeah, that's true. You would rather have him for March. So I guess in that regard, you kind of want him to give him the whole recovery time, make it more of the six weeks than, than the four weeks. If the team's taking a hit with all these road games and you kind of need him back, then maybe you try to rush him back. But I don't know. I agree with you that you'd rather have him back for March than the road games against Xavier and Seton Hall. But if it's starting to get ugly and let's just say they, they hit a wall, I don't think they are, but let's just say that happens, and then you might be considering to rush him back. Yeah, this season, through 20 games, all of which he started, he's been averaging 11.6 points per game shooting 43% from deep, and he has the second-highest assist-to-turnover ratio right behind his teammate Jalen Brunson with a 2.5 ratio. Solid player, and we talk about all the time how broadcasters only talk about how he had 20 points in the national championship game and how it's a joke, like, oh, when are they going to say it? When are they going to say it? But on the other hand, why is that all they talk about? When it comes to Phil Booth, he brings so much to the team on offense and on defense, but yet broadcasters 
while it's nice that they acknowledge it, it's like they talk about it as if he's just some one-hit wonder. When in reality, we see that he's a quiet double-digit scorer. He really took over in the Gonzaga and Xavier games this season. And aside from that, he brings some really tough defense to the table. And we also see that he's one of our better facilitators. Point guard number two behind Jalen. It's going to be a pretty big hit for Villanova and for Jay Wright, who obviously loves his guards. And that means Mr. Gillespie is going to have to step up. And he's definitely going to see a huge uptick in minutes. Yes, he is. You better hope he's up to the game speed because he's basically the sixth man now. Unless they technically designate DCR as the sixth man. I don't know. I don't think it really matters at this point. DCR is the backup forward and... Gillespie's the backup guard now, and that's basically your two guys off the bench. So, rolling thin going into February. And now I'm feeling a little uneasy about that picture that surfaced about Mikhail Bridges walking around in a boot. Like we saw in that Butler game, I'm assuming that's when it happened. That's when it looked like it happened when he fell awkwardly and was hampered a little bit by what looked like an ankle or a foot thing. He was spotted around campus with a boot. Obviously, he's been playing, so he's been playing through it. But now I got, I'm wondering, were we just better off just kind of resting him for a little bit, seeing how we have this really tough stretch of games coming up? And now with Phil Booth out, and now it's going to be all hands on deck. Maybe you were right, kind of in a way, in that Jay maybe plays the starters a little too much? Yeah, I, I did find it funny how after we hype up Phil, and then we kind of hint at the fact that, well, I kind of hinted at the fact that I do feel that Jay leaves the starters in just a little too long. That, that this proceeds to happen towards the end of the game. I think it was within the last, what, three, four minutes. And the game was basically decided at that point. That was a little unsettling. But at the same time, I think we were going over about this off air. I mean, who does he really play over? They don't have enough players off the bench to really put another like lineup in without using the bench mob. And I don't think Jay wanted to use the bench mob in this, which is fine. I get that. But like, if you want to put the backups in, you really only have Dante and Colin as the guards, and then you really only have DCR and Delaney if you wanted to utilize him as the forwards, leaving one spot. So that one spot could have been anyone, and it just happened to be Phil. I, I know that wasn't the lineup they were using when he was in, but, I mean, if you wanted to just put the backups in, then someone had to be out there. One of the starters had to be out there. So it could have happened to anyone. It could have been Amari. It could have been Jalen. Like, it, it doesn't matter. So it, it sucks because it happened at such an unimportant time of the game in a game that was already decided. So I, I think that just, it sits a little uneasy with me, but at the same time, I don't think he, I think Jay was kind of handcuffed with that. Yeah, certainly. And what are the odds anyway that you have three players in a single season, less than two months apart from each other, and all three of these players sustain fractured right hands? Yeah, that's that's as freaky as it gets. I mean, Collins and, and Jermaine Samuels' injury were practice, and but so I guess that there's a little differentiation there. If Phil got hurt in practice with the same type of injury, I don't know what drill they're running, but they should just stop it. So at least it was kind of a freak accident in that regard. And I mean, every, I mean, all these injuries are freak accidents, but that's just so weird. It's the same injury to the same, basically the same spot on the body. Hope we can get them healthy for March when the stakes are really high and raised. For now, I'm just feeling really bad for Phil Booth. It's got to be mentally killing you. It's got to be mentally tough to finally you come back. You're having your best season of your career so far you finally put all the knee troubles behind you and then you get a broken hand or fractured hand rather in garbage time or closing minutes of a providence game real tough real tough best of luck to him hopefully we see him on the court soon next up for the cats they will be going on without phil booth they'll be headed to milwaukee to take on the marquette golden eagles the second leg the second time that nova will face marquette this season 
Last time you were there, it was January 7th at the Wells Fargo Center. Villanova won 100 to 90. Marcus Howard dropped 37. Do you see him doing that again, seeing how he's pretty much probably their only consistent source of production? I don't know. I I think he'll he'll definitely get his. I think he'll get at least 20, 25. But Villanova's defense has, has improved drastically, and I think that game kind of turned it around. Maybe he'll get 20 to 25, but no, Marquette will put up as many points as they did. This is going to be a tough game. I think the Bradley Center is probably the most underrated home court advantage in the Big East. And obviously last year we lost there, which, by the way, Tuesday night was the one-year anniversary of losing to Marquette and also almost the two-year anniversary to the day where we lost to Providence. So that day, those two days, the 23rd and 24th, are absolutely cursed. Because now you have to add Phil Booth's injury to that list. But back to Marquette. Tough game. Home court advantage for Marquette. They played pretty crappy against Xavier last night. Granted, that was on the road. Marquette's good at home. It, see, this is so tough to call because this, I'm debating with myself the same way I was last year. I was like, you know, Villanova can easily go in there and beat them, but that home court advantage is just so big for Marquette, and they play very well at home. But the way Villanova's been playing, but then you have the Phil Booth injury. Oh, see, I, I, can't, I can't even make up my decision on air. That difficult. I still think Villanova goes in and wins. Yeah, the BMO Bradley Harris Center is definitely a tough place to play for road teams. Marquette is excellent at home. They're 13-7 and overall, and they're 4-4 four and four in the Big East. Six of seven of those losses are solely from Marquette going on the road. The one loss at home was just a four-point game to Xavier, and they were very competitive in that game all throughout. We've seen them upset Seton Hall by 20. They've taken care of business against every other team that's come to play them at home. As you said, very underrated, because obviously when you think of great home court advantages, Villanova, Xavier, Butler, Butler, yeah. Omaha, uh, Omaha with Creighton at the Creighton. CenturyLink Center, that's yep. four, four places that come to mind, and then maybe at The Rock. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So those are those are the five places that four or five places that really come to mind. But Marquette is low key very good at home. We saw them steal a game from Villanova at the very end, but I think that was a matter of Villanova beating itself as opposed to Marquette coming back. We're winning with five minutes left in the game. Looking back up a minute and a half later, and then before you know, Marquette's right into it. And at the very end, they stole that game from the Cats. This time around, I think Villanova goes in, beats Marquette. And leaves no questions. That That is my call for this Sunday. Windova goes to Milwaukee. Yeah, I hope you're right. I believe they'll go in and win. But Marquette at home, like you said, it's just a whole different animal. And they're a very good offensive team. But I think Villanova's defense has really clamped down these, these past couple of weeks, ever since that Marquette game, really. So I believe they'll continue the trend. And we'll see how well they adjust to no Phil Booth. is severely underrated as a defender. I want to see how the team's defense reacts to not having Phil and at least the start, and then obviously throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, Nova's defense will certainly have its eyes on Marcus Howard. Dropped 37 last time. He had 33 last night against Xavier. The rest of his team, just nowhere to be found. But also another thing of note, Marcus Howard finally broke his free throw streak, one that he had going since March 4th of last year. He's going to have to have another insane 50-point game for Marquette to beat Nova, which, one, I find unlikely, and two... It just kind of shows a testament that he's pretty much all they have. I wouldn't say he's all they have because they have Andrew Rousey, and he's a great scorer too. But he's been a little cold lately, and he didn't do anything against Villanova. The Wildcats really clamped down on their prominent players, and 
they let a couple of the lesser prominent guys get off or chip in double-digit games. I have liked Villanova's defense, especially since that Xavier game, where they've been pretty much lights out ever since. No problems with that at all, and they've really buckled down on that end. So I don't see it being another 190 game, but there will be a lot of offense. There will be a good amount of Marcus Howard, but hopefully there'll be even more Villanova Wildcats on Sunday afternoon. I agree with you there. R- Rousey's definitely going to be the, the X factor for Marquette, though, if they want any shot of winning this game. Marcus Howard can't do it all by himself unless he dropped 50 to 60 points, which I just don't see happening. Rousey was benched in the last game against Villanova. Wasn't able to do much, mainly due to Villanova's ability to really just lock on him, lock him down for whatever reason. If he, if he gets going and then Marcus Howard's chipping in, maybe it might be a, a long afternoon, but I just, I just don't see it happening. Tip-off is this Sunday at 1 p.m., game will be on Fox, not Fox Sports 1, the Fox Network. And definitely not Fox Business Insider, whatever the, that channel is called. <laughs> We're on feeding on that channel, Eugene, so that's okay. We can add that to a list of accolades or probably put up a banner or something. Yeah, it'd be like the Indianapolis Colts. They raise banners for everything, so could have done that. We'll be keeping an eye out for that this Sunday, but we'll also be keeping an eye out for the Lady Cats. Resume action this weekend. They've had a nice break. Since that grueling 11-day stretch in which they played six games, they take on Xavier on Friday on the road. Before they head back to Villanova, they'll go over to Butler on Sunday to close out a little weekend road trip. Xavier and Butler are two teams that Villanova's played this season, beat Xavier easily, but then took a hard loss to Butler at home. And it was the game that knocked Villanova out of the polls. Chris, starting off with Xavier... What do you see in this Musketeer squad? How do you feel like this game will play out? What has stood out to you since we've last seen them? Well, since they last played Villanova, Xavier has won a grand total of one game, and that was at home against Providence on January 19th, so almost a week ago. So not much. I think Xavier's just not not that great of a team. They obviously haven't shown any forms of improvement since last playing Villanova. Yes, they're at home, but I still think Villanova should go in there and, and take care of business. Yeah, Xavier only has one player averaging over 10 points per game, and that's Amani Partlow. They have a pretty deep roster and a pretty deep rotation, but even with this, they haven't really gotten much done. And as you said, they've only beaten Providence, which isn't exactly a top-half team in the Big East right now. Last time Villanova played Xavier, they only let one player score in double digits, and that was Jada Bird. No other Musketeers scored more than eight points, and Villanova's really lights out defensively. I think the same happens again. And whether it's Kelly Jaycott, whether she replicates her 21-point performance, that would be fantastic, but I think it'll be a more complete effort. A lot of different Wildcats were cold, and I just don't see that happening again. They're going to be well-rested. They finally had a chance to just breathe and catch their breath. I think they go into Xavier with a win. That Butler game might be might be a tough one. Might be a tough one. What stands out to you about the Bulldogs? Since beating Villanova, they've beaten Georgetown, Seton Hall, Creighton, and Providence. So that's four wins there, which bookended a three-game losing streak, which featured St. George Marquette and DePaul, so some of the upper echelon talent in the Big East. And going into Butler, after losing to them big at home, where you really didn't think you'd lose them at all, that's going to be tough. I think a lot's going to depend on how Villanova plays against Xavier and how Butler plays against Georgetown. Butler has a game this Friday as well against Georgetown at home. Maybe if Butler comes off a bad loss and maybe they're feeling a little down, Villanova's coming in a little high on a victory against Xavier, 
then maybe Villanova can come in and catch him off guard or, or whatever it may be. But I don't know. I feel that if Butler wins against Georgetown, they got a three-game win streak. They're feeling great about themselves. They're still, they stay at home. That's a big key there for the weekend. So I, I think Villanova's got a lot of lot going against them going into this game. But you know what? I'm liking the way they're playing. So I'll give Villanova this one as too. Butler's 13-8 and eight overall, 7-2 and two at Hinkle Fieldhouse. They got some Hinkle magic helping them out as well. I think there are two key things to watch for in this game. The first is whether or not Villanova hits their three-point shots. In their last meeting against the Bulldogs, they were only 4 of 27 on the floor from deep. And that's no good, especially for Harry Preda's squad, who loves, lives and dies by the three. They're just as much shooting them up, sleep in the streets as the men's team. The second thing to watch out for is over on the Butler side, Tori Schickel. She absolutely torched Villanova inside, had 26 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks, 10 of 11 on the floor. We've seen dominant forwards give Villanova a hard time before, but the key that we've seen the Wildcats do is while they have that star player cook on them because they, they know that Villanova's not that good on the front line, doesn't really have a great interior presence, they'll shut down everyone else. Villanova didn't get to do that. They allowed three other players to score in double digits, and that was really the X factor there. And aside from that, Villanova collapsed, absolutely collapsed in the second half. They only made one three over the final two quarters and shot only nine of 26 on the floor. I don't think Villanova does that again. I think this game will be a tough one for sure. It will definitely be close. But I think this break that Villanova's got to enjoy and have will be the difference coming into this weekend. I think they take both on the road, but the Butler game will be a very tough one. As long as they can contain Schickel, even if they let Schickel get hers, they have to absolutely lock down everyone else. I'm going with Villanova in this one, but I think it will be very tough. A little tougher than expected, but I think Villanova wins both this weekend. I have to agree with you there. So the first game against Xavier is this Friday night, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. The game is on Fox Sports Go and Big East Digital Network. The same goes for the Sunday afternoon game against Butler. At Hinkle Fieldhouse, it'll tip off at 1 p.m. this Sunday. So we'll be keeping an eye out for those, and we'll see how Villanova does. Because once they get through this weekend, we'll have a nice little break again after that. So it's good to see that their end-of-season schedule or their month of February is just a little more spaced out after that grueling stretch. You know, they kind of struggled with that grueling stretch. So now if they're able to breathe, then maybe it'll help on the court too. Well, it's that time of the day where we answer your questions. Take a look at the mailbag. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N-Pod with your questions, or you can leave them in the comments section of a podcast thread. We missed a few last time. We're going to circle back and get those. As always, you can ask us anything, and we will answer it, discuss it on the show. First question from Jerry Quinn. Is this subscription to The Athletic really worth it? Also, is the coverage of Nova basketball better on The Athletic than ESPN? I think it's safe to say any other outlet is better than ESPN's coverage, especially when it comes to covering the Cats. That is a fair enough statement. <laughs> that is a very true statement. I mean, I, I don't really read The Athletic. I've only read a couple articles because they were free at the time, and it was usually just hockey stuff because I know they're big on hockey. But just avoid ESPN if you want anything related to men's basketball. But I, I believe you read The Athletic, don't you? Yeah, it's pretty good. I check on it once in a while. I don't read it religiously. I think it's good to see that it was it's growing. I really think they should add a New York page. I'm surprised that they pretty much have every other major market but New York and most of the West Coast, with exception to the Bay Area. But it's good. One thing that's 
if you especially if you want Nova basketball coverage, Dana O'Neill is a writer for the Athletic. She was single handedly the Nova expert in my eyes on ESPN. Yeah. And now that she's on the Athletic, it's like no leash, full reins, can do what she wants, and she has a bunch of nice features on Villanova. And she had one recently about Jalen. Yeah, I forgot she was part of the mass exodus through the Athletic. Yeah, she was one of the key notable players when they basically took all of the free agent writers or poached a lot of high caliber talent and made the Justice League of sports coverage in the form of the Athletic. But yeah, she recently had a feature on Jalen Brunson and his dad. Now he's now the best player in America, or the best player on the best team in America. Oh, good. so already, already you can see that there is no anti-Villanova narrative if Dan O'Neill is allowed to call them the best player on the best team because that would not fly at ESPN. No, not, not at all. Not at all. I, I think Jay Billis, Billis actually said something about Jalen Brunson being the best point guard in the country, but I don't know if he actually said he's on the best team in the country. So I guess, I guess that's good. I guess that's good. It's an upgrade. And then another question from Jerry Quinn. Why aren't more Villanova students going to the Villanova basketball games at the Wells Fargo Center? Has the school provided transportation to anyone who wants to attend the games? I know weekend games get a better turnout, but the turnout last night seemed light. I did hear that there was really bad traffic, but I'm not saying that's an excuse. You can use that as an excuse for to an extent, but it's still not an excusable for, it was like what, like 8,500 or something like that there, which is more than the pavilion, but when it, you're at the Wells Fargo, Fargo Center, it seems like a lot less. But you, you think about it. Tuesday night game against a quote-unquote boring team like, like we discussed last pod. I don't think a lot of people were turning out. And also, a lot of people are still hung up on the Eagles. Like, I don't think Villanova's on the forefront of most people's minds right now, especially in the area. But Jerry's question related to students. I think it's just because... It's like, like I said, it's a midweek game against Providence, an unranked Providence team. You just don't, you don't really have the urge to really get up and go all the way to Wells Fargo, drive into Philly, deal with the traffic, and then drive all the way back when you probably got stuff going on that week. I think that's why. I think it's just that simple. Midweek, not exactly the best matchup. Yeah, I'm not giving the students any pass on this. On the bright side, yes, this would have been a pavilion game. The attendance on Tuesday night would have been a sold out pavilion or the equivalent to that. I'm just surprised that there isn't a bigger turnout. I feel like there were definitely pros and cons of having the games at the Wells Fargo Center. But one pro was that there was definitely way more seats available. As a student for the number one ranked team, it's hard to win those lottery tickets. They reward the people who win or who go to every single game. But obviously, for some people, you might go to every single game, but you're going to lose on one or two. Thankfully, I was fortunate enough to dodge the lottery my junior and senior year. But from what I had heard from friends and things like that, especially from you, you knew that you were going to lose a a game or you were going to have to scramble for a ticket because you want to win one from the lottery. And you just hope that it wouldn't be against a key opponent like Xavier, Georgetown, or whoever was good at the time. Totally blanking. I don't know why, but Xavier and Georgetown are the ones that I can think of. It's funny you say those two teams because usually those were the two teams they played over break. Xavier was winter and Georgetown was spring. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. Xavier, yeah, Xavier was, yeah, because that was the Edmund Sumner game. Yes. Yeah, that was over winter break. And the Georgetown was... Always spring break. Always. No, it was, it was, yeah, it was at the tail end. It was at the Wells Fargo Center. I guess like a Creighton or Butler. Creighton or Butler. Yes, yes, that would be better. But, yeah, I'm surprised more students don't come out because... Way more seats. As you can see on TV, they're they they can they're glad to fill those up. 
I think when you talk to some of these quote unquote old timer alumni, or I, I say I, I call them old timer alumni, but honestly, I'm referring to anyone who graduated four years or higher before me. So basically, if you graduated before 2012, you're pretty much an old timer alumni in my eyes, or at least for colloquial sake. I remember Brian, you were shout out to a fellow View Hoops editor. He told me that when he was in college, there was a contingent of Villanova fans that went all the way to Ryder for a game. Maybe we're a little spoiled. Maybe the students now especially are a little spoiled. But you got to be taking advantage of this. This is this primetime basketball. Who knows how long this run will last. Hopefully it lasts longer. They're not on the shorter side. But with all these open seats, so many tickets available, you got to be going to every single game. And also, we, I talk about it all the time with my friends, or I'm sure you've talked about it with other Villanova people. And there's one thing about college we miss more than anything. It's the basketball. After you graduate, these tickets are not cheap. They are not cheap. And when that new pavilion is built, they're they're going to be even more expensive. Yeah, they're, they aren't exactly kind to the wallet. But at the same time, I mean, to me, that's not even like the biggest deal. The biggest deal is miss, with missing basketball is the fact that you can't go with like the group of friends you usually go with night in and night out. You got to like plan this crap out like months in advance. Just to look forward to like a 36-hour time window when you're all together again, and then all of a sudden it, it ends like like that. So it, it's it, it's like a long process for one game, and you only get one in per year. When in, back in college, it was twice a week, once during the week, once on the weekend, and it, it was a grand old time. And the tickets were free. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to coordinate a trip where. All your friends are most likely going to be scattered throughout some major cities in the U.S. or some major metro areas with, throughout the U.S. And then you have to coordinate a trip where you all come into the same city, single weekend, might require vacation time or days off from grad school, law school, uh, whatever kind of school or your job. So it's, it's a lot of coordination. It's a lot more than just being able to knock on your friend's door, going down the hall in the dorm and being like, hey, let's take this train into suburban. And then from there, we'll take the subway down to the Wells Fargo Center. Maybe I'm starting to now become an old-timer alumni, but yeah, these kids are spoiled. I'm with you, Jerry. There should be more kids going to the Wells Fargo Center, and it was just syllabus week, and as we all know, syllabus week is a great time to do nothing because that's what I did. Nothing but have fun. (laughs) Was it really syllabus this week? Oh my God, was it really syllabus week this week? They just got back last Tuesday after Martin Luther King Day was the first day of classes for this semester. So they oh. just finished the first week of the spring semester. For some reason, I thought they went back a week earlier. Yeah, there, then there is no excuse. And, and it wasn't even that late of a game. So, like, it wasn't – it was a 6.30 tip-off. Yeah. It wasn't even that much of an inconvenience. You could have been home still and, do, like, just chilled for whatever you wanted to do by, like, 10. For students, yes. But for the rest of the – general population i think that was a little tough the 6 30 time start for the people working people i'm sure it was a tough time to meet but for the students no excuse there should have been more students there you got free tickets this is not going to last and then you'll be talking about when you graduate in a few years man should have gone to more basketball games but alas i will stand off my soapbox and <laughs> we will move on to the next question okay this is from mike d what are you hearing about courtney ramey well, I'm just going to assume Chris is going to defer this question to me. Yeah, I, I, you're the insider here. I'm just, it's all yours. I'm not at liberty to disclose anything, but all I have to say is I've heard positive vibes from both sides. So that, that's all I can say about that. I'm sorry, Mike, that it, it, it can't be more than that, but it's been a positive connection. 
Next question is from Notorious Golfer. Nova's schedule is boring. Is it time to dump the Big Five and start scheduling some real non-conference games? We talked about this twice this season. Yes, we have. And at first, I was all for burning and dumping the Big Five, or at least leaving it and scheduling some big boys, or at the very least, change the format in which the way we do it and not make it a round robin and make it a Philadelphia City Five or Big Five City Six tournament. City Six, yeah. But then Brendan Riley came on. He wrote this fabulous article. I highly recommend you go on View Hoops, search it up in the archives. It's there on why we should stay in the Big Five, keep it the way it is. I was very skeptical at first, but he brought up a lot of great points, has some nice charts to go over this article, came on the air and talked about it some more, giving some more tidbits and info. It was a very compelling argument, and I say that we should stay in the Big Five. If you want any reasons why, he changed my point of view. Just look at his article. Let us know what you think about it. Chris, what say you? I feel like I change my mind on the subject every day. Like, it, it, like one day I'm like, yeah, screw the Big Five. Let's get out of this crap and actually play like Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke at, like, for all the non-con games. We can do that, right? And then part of me is like, actually, you know, you know what? The Big Five's kind of fine. And if like we're able to finagle it a little bit and get a tournament out of it, that's cool, too. I flip-flop on it. I, I really don't have a hard position either way. I think it's just because I'm just not from Philly. I just I don't really care if we stay in the Big Five, but at the same time, like I, I'm fine if we do. We still get the good non-con games in. Like we're, We got the Kansas series coming up. Yeah, the UConn one we have now, but hopefully they're able to turn around and we're able, we're able to make something big out of that. But it, it's just tough to really just schedule a bunch of top-end non-con games unless you're in like the a PK80 type situation. And even then, you still need the cards that break right. If I had to choose right now, I'd say stay in the Big Five as it is. Yeah, just go check out Brendan Riley's article. It's called What to Do with the Big Five. It came out in December, I believe. Yeah, it was December because it was during that holiday stretch we were talking about it. Yeah, definitely check it out. Give it a read. Change my point of view on the whole subject. I have respect for the Big Five. I admire that there's a tradition there, and I admire that Jay Wright is all about upholding that tradition. But as a New Yorker who did not know that the Big Five existed until I came to Villanova, I, I could have lived without it. But I could respect that other people thoroughly enjoyed it for what it was. But Brendan Riley changed my opinion on it, and I'm pro Big Five. Maybe his article changed your opinion. If not, love to hear what you got to say about that. Last question is from Mike Jacobs. Is Catherine Ryan the best tweeter on the View Hoop staff? Yes. I would, I would definitely say so. I would say that Catherine gives me a good chuckle every time she tweets. The other good one, well, he's retired. He came to mind when I saw this question. But then I realized that he's retired, so he probably doesn't count. But Ryan Sackerman, whatever his whatever his name is now, just like insert name here, student. I think he's bird student now. He's yeah. still at Sacketology, but his name changes on it. He is probably he was probably my favorite tweeter on the V Hoop staff. But I'd say Catherine Ryan is also worth a follow. She's very funny, very witty. And if you want to follow her on Twitter, it's at CMRyan624. But I would say that right now, in this current day and age, she's the best tweeter on the V-Hoop staff. <laughs> on pace for a Hall of Fame. If we're going with an active and retired list, I would have to agree with your picks there. Chris Lane also gives me a chuckle, too, mainly with the soccer stuff. I don't know. He, he makes a good soccer joke every now and then, so... Uh, props to him as well. Yeah, I would say Chris Lane is probably number two for me. And then if you want, like, serious, like, stats, 
Will Schrieffer is pretty good too. He'll just like hit you with a with a random thread now and then, and then you just engross and go down the rabbit hole of all his tables and charts. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Podomatic, on iTunes, and now on Google Play Music. Also, please follow View Hoops on Twitter at View Hoops or on Instagram also at View Hoops. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel, at the Stanzman on Twitter. Nova Nation, have a good weekend. And to Mr. Booth, get well soon.